I'm Nina van Dilberg for Bears News. Well, if the polls are correct, the ANC could lose its majority in South Africa's national elections, which have now been announced to be on the 29th of May this year. So what went wrong for the political party of Nelson Mandela? To shed light on this, we have businessman and independent political analyst Muletsi Mbeki in the studio to discuss that. Hi, Muletsi. Thank you for joining us. Morning. You've described it as the five deadly sins of the ANC. Um, why the biblical reference and what are these sins? Well, well, I went to a Catholic high school in Lesotho. So I spent, which was a boarding high school. Yeah, During my era, uh, you went to boarding high school. So I, I had to have to uh, attend mass in the morning and mass in the evening, although I wasn't a Catholic. But but we, so I got to learn a lot about the Bible and Christianity and Catechism and so on, and and actually it turns out to be a very good reference in helping you understand South the South Africa of today. So uh, I recommend those who, who want to understand South Africa's problems to now and then have a look at the Bible. It will help to guide them. So, um, what are your five deadly sins? Can we unpack them? Okay, we I identified five deadly sins that the ANC uh, committed. First was not to privatize the state-owned enterprises that it inherited from the National Party regime. The National Party, of course, was largely a party of farmers. This, this is something that gets forgotten. So in order to, that was one side of the, but the economy was controlled by the mining industry. So for the farmers to, to become more productive, they had to build an infrastructure that reached the, the huge expanse of South Africa so that their produce could be delivered to the mining centers, which were the emerging urban centers. Nobody was interested in investing in that infrastructure because the, the mining industry was just interested in digging out gold and diamonds. So the state had to build the railways, the state of the, of the Africana population, which was the national party had to build the railways. It had to build the infrastructure that the farmers required. So you had a whole lot of state-owned enterprises which were developed to service the agricultural sector. Now, the, the, the regime of that time understood that it had to train the people to be able to, to manage these industries. I think one of the most famous one was Vanderbilt, who set up the steel industry of South Africa. He was an Afrikaner uh, engineer, metallurgist, whatever. He is the man who set up the, the steel industry of South Africa, which was called the Iron and Steel uh, Industrial Corporation, which was also a state-owned because the mining companies and the London Stock Exchange, they were not interested in setting up a steel industry for South Africa. 
they told the South Africans, if you want steel, buy it from Birmingham or from Sheffield. What's your problem? You see, remember, we were colony. So we have this network of state-owned industries that the ANC inherited, but it didn't have people to manage with the skills to manage. Remember, the National Party had been in power since 1924. So over nearly 70 years, it had developed people with the skills to manage the, 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 these enormous industries. You know, the, 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 the railway company was, was, was the largest company in Africa, not just in South Africa. The electricity company was the largest company in Africa. These were massive institutions, very complex organizations. The ANC, which had been, they are, as you know, the African people had been discriminated against. And their education had been undermined and undermined over many years. So they didn't have the skills. So when they became the government, it, just, it doesn't, merely because you are the government, you, it doesn't mean you have the skills. And of course, as they say, the rest is history. They, they took over this, instead of privatizing these enterprises, they tried to manage them themselves. Now, they understandably, of course, they failed. I mean, the, our electricity company has been in crisis for the last 16, 17 years, unable to provide the, the electricity that the, the country needs. But the government keeps saying, we'll fix it, we'll fix it. But they can't fix it. They, they are not able to fix it. For 17 years, they've been unable. Interestingly, there was a study done by Harvard University. There was a team which came here, uh, which did a study of, of South Africa over a two-year period, headed by the distinguished Venezuelan economist called Ricardo Hausmann. And he pointed out that Chile had had a similar electricity crisis to South Africa and that it took them five years to solve the problem. 17 years down the road, the ANC government still hasn't solved the problem. So, you know, we underestimate the destructive power of Dr. Van Wood's Bantu education. We want to forget the destructive power that it has had on the on the black population in South Africa, because we don't want to talk about it. We, if you talk about it, it, it seems like you are saying black people are inferior. No, it's realizing that they don't, they didn't have, and it was by design of Doctor Fairfoot and his buddies. It was by design that they didn't have the skills. And they should have had the leadership, the Mandela leadership in particular, should have had the wisdom to realize that they couldn't manage this company. Incidentally, one of the companies which was privatized of this state-owned was a company called Sasol. Yeah. Sasol, which made uh, uh, petrol oil from coal, was also a state-owned enterprise. It had to be state-owned because nobody was going to invest in, in such a crazy idea 
when the, the natural petroleum was available in the Middle East and very cheap. So why go to the expense? But of course, they are, the, the then National Party government was afraid of sanctions. So it then developed this oil from coal in the that was privatized before 1994. Today is one of the most successful chemical companies in, in South Africa. It's, it's got plants in Qatar, it's got plants in, in the United States and so on. But South Africa doesn't lose anything. You see, many people think that when you privatize a company, the foreigners will put it in their handbag or in their briefcase and take it, I don't know, to West Switzerland or England or somewhere. This is the naive understanding of privatization. They, they think the asset gets taken out of the country. The, you know, it's, it's like the belief in South Africa. If the, land, if the foreigners, I remember there was a debate some while ago when, when uh, Branston, Richard Branston bought a, a wine farm in, in Frenchville. Then there was the whole hullabaloo, oh, the foreigner is buying our wine farm. As if Richard Bunsen was going to take the farm and put it in a, in a, in a suitcase and take it to England. Well, the farm was still in South Africa, and it's still in South Africa. So, the, the, so the, those are some of the challenges. Anyway, that's one. The second one, the ANC obviously wanted to develop a black middle class. And instead of developing the black middle class through developing the skills of, of the black population and developing entrepreneurship of the black population, they gave them affirmative action jobs in the public sector. So, and, and highly paid affirmative action yeah, jobs. And on top of that, enormously highly paid. So that 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 was the 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 second the second problem. Then they adopted. There was a process called a uh, black economic empowerment, which was developed interestingly by Africana Capital, because at the end of the eighties, when Africana Capital, especially Sanla, realized that the National Party got. South Africa was going to have a democratic government. And there was a perception in the country that the Africana big companies like Sanlam had benefited from apartheid. So they were fearful that they were going to be nationalized or were going to be punished. Some. So these companies, uh, led by Sanlam, tried to co-opt the, the leaders of the anti-apartheid movement. So they started something, transferring shares to the leaders of the United Democratic Front in particular. So they set up a company called New Africa Investment Limited, which was given shares in a subsidiary of Salam called Metropolitan Life. So you then co-opt the leaders of, of, of the people who have been leaders of the people uh, into defending the interests 
of Africa's big business and of big business in general, so that there is actually no economic reform of, of, the, of the economy. And then the, 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 where am I? I'm on three. The fourth one yeah. was turning a blind eye to the destruction of democracy and the economy of Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe is a very important neighbor of South Africa. So what goes on there? It has impact. If you destroy the economy of Zimbabwe and democracy, there is going to be a flood of the displaced population into South Africa, which is exactly what happened. And also the other destructive process that was taking on was in Mozambique, where Frelimo, the ruling party in Mozambique, to finance itself, started importing heroin from South Asia and on selling it to South Africa. The ANC government turned a blind eye to that as well. The Americans found out that this heroin was leaking out to the United States, and they sent somebody to South Africa, and they caught the person who was... Uh, on selling this heroin to the United States, and they had him deported, and he was sentenced. He's sitting in a prison in New York as I'm, as I'm talking to you. But we have done nothing. The report by the London School of Economics gave the names of who were the people who were importing this heroin to be on sold to South Africa. South African government should be having these people in prison in South Africa. But it has done nothing about it. One of your deadly sins is also BBEEE. Um, why do you regard that as a deadly sin for the ANC? No, no, you see, after a century and a half of exclusion of the black population from being able to, from skills for that because of job reservation, the majority of the black population had very low skills. It had virtually had, they were not property owners. They were excluded from setting up companies. So after 1994, what we needed to do was to have a major drive to encourage the black population to become entrepreneurs to raise their skill levels to become entrepreneurs. Instead, they were given wealth, pre-existing wealth, in existing companies. That's what black economic, on one side. On the other side, they were given highly paid jobs in the public sector. So we haven't developed new industries in South Africa since 1994. I think the only black-owned new industry, as far as I can find out, is MTN, the, the cell phone company. That's the only substantial black-owned uh, company that has been developed during the last 30 years of this. Why? Because a professionals, black professionals, are in government jobs, highly paid government jobs, and many of them are in middle management in, in the existing private sector. They are not entrepreneurs. 
if you look at Asia, people ask why is South Africa not like the Asian Tigers? In the Asian Tigers, there are no highly paid jobs in the public sector. If you, if you look at, I once visited a steel plant, a, a plant making locomotives in China. The salary of the CEO at the, this plant was in Sichuan. In fact, we buy locomotives from that. The CEO at the time was earning 300,000 rands a year in equivalent. The guy who was running Translate in South Africa was, uh, his name was Brian Mulitbe, was earning 6 million rands a year. So we have this hugely paid public sector administrative class which is taking resources from the production side of our economy that is functioning through the tax system to pay this massively overpaid uh, uh, administrative class. Uh, the, the, a, a few months ago, the government revealed that there were 55,000 public servants we're earning a million rands a year each. There, you know, there was a project just to give you an, a, an illustration how highly paid the, the ANC government is paying its own public service of it. There was a joint project between Germany and, and, and South Africa. And Germany had to pay, had to uh, engage public, South African public servants to administer the project, and it had to pay them. And the Germans found out that these guys are being paid more than uh, German public servants. So the, they said, no, we're not going to pay more than uh, civil servants in Germany are earning to these guys. So we've had a very destructive uh, administration of South Africa during the last 30 years. People focus on corruption. Corruption is just a symptom. It is the key structural policies that are the fundamentals. Um, um, you've also you talked about um, Mozambique and Zimbabwe and um, also about removing the army from border control. South Africa has more than 4,000 kilometers of land border. And if you take South Africa within the region in which we live, i.e. southern and eastern Africa, that's our, our region. South Africa, is a, it looks like an enormously wealthy country relative to its neighbors. And in many respects, it is. In GDP per capita terms, South Africa is nearly 7,000. Uh, dollars per capita. But Zambia, Zimbabwe are in the hundreds. So when there's disruption in the neighboring countries, people see South Africa as the haven to which to come. And so they cross the borders of South Africa. Whatever border control the formal immigration system, they cross the borders irrespective. So, and now they put pressure 
on the poor in South Africa because they go to the neighborhoods of the poor. They don't go to the neighborhoods of the rich. They go to the neighborhoods of the poor. Like, for example, we have in uh, just north of Santon uh, a, 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 an informal settlement called Deep's Road. Now, there's a huge number of foreigners, poor foreign people who, who find their way from all over uh, Eastern and Southern Africa into that. And this creates friction between our communities and the foreign with the foreigners. Hence the so-called xenophobia problem in South Africa. But that's only one side of the problem. South Africa has to get involved in fighting or in pacifying Southern Africa. So through its membership of the Southern Africa Development Community, we have to, we have to deploy soldiers. For example, right now, South the Africa DRC. is deploying to DRC to go and fight a rebel group called M23, which is supported by Rwanda. Now, Rwanda has teams of assassins in South Africa, which have killed one person, an opposition leader to, to the regime in Rwanda, and tried to kill another one. So if you don't control your border, these teams from M23, which you are fighting as part of your assignment by SADC, but SADC can't protect South Africa's borders from M23. No. So they can walk it. We, we are also in Mozambique, again, as part of a, a SADC peacekeeping, fighting some Islamist rebels or so-called Islamist rebels. Mm. What is to stop the Islamist rebels walking into South Africa and, and planting landmines and injuring South Africans? Nothing. If you don't control your border, they will walk across. Sooner or later, they will walk across. So that's why the South African army has been allowed to, to decline and decline because the funds that used to fund the South African army are being consumed by this civilian, highly paid administrative class. So our army, for example, we, we, there's been, the experts point out that our tank helicopters, which are called the Royfal, mm -hmm. are not operational because the pilots don't have enough time to fly and they're not in a, there are no spares. So we have, for example, a troop carrier helicopter, which was shot at, by the way, a few weeks ago. But it's carrying, it was carrying an injured soldier, but it didn't have protection. It should have had protection from a rifle or from rifles, so that when it's fired on, they can return the fire. So that's the consequences of, of that's why I would say those are our five deadly sins that, that that have been have put South Africa to where it is today on the verge of what one expert calls a failed state. So um 
is there any absolution for the ANC? Because if we take your Christian analogy, um, will there be any forgiveness for the ANC or would they be forgiven by the voters in the election coming up? Well, at the end of the day, you know, well, if we take the start with the Catholic practice, if you have sinned, you go to the priest and you go into the box, the confession box, and then you confess your sins and you are told how many Hail Marys you, you should do, but you have to stop continuing to sin. The ANC, the confession box for the ANC is the electorate. And the ANC has made it clear it is not intending to change its ways. It is, Ramaphosa has repeated time and again that he is sticking with the policy of black economic empowerment. That he is sticking with the policy of this hugely highly paid administrative class. He is not changing the education system to produce the people with the technical capability of a South Korean population. No. So, obviously, the population uh, feels that after nearly 30 years, they've given them a, a chance to do it. And the ANC actually lost. People think it will be the first time that it loses the national election now. But actually, in the local government election in November 2021, the national tally of the vote, the ANC got 45.6% of the vote. So it has already lost the national election. It has lost all the metros, I think except probably Islander. We have eight metros. The ANC used to control all the provinces and all the, the eight metros. It has lost all of them, except the, the smallest, which is Islander. It now is in power as coalition. Johannesburg, for example, is run by a coalition of the ANC and the Economic Freedom Fighters, the EFF. So it's clear that the population also realizes these five deadly sins and is stopping voting for the ANC. But of course, our other problem is that we have this fragmentation of, 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 of opposition parties Mm-hmm. But but that you know, for, I see that as part of the democratic process. Of because the NC has been so dominant, the opposition has not been able to consolidate. So so for now, the expectation is will whatever government is produced by this coming election, the NC will still be central to it, even though it will no longer be a majority party. So how has your five deadly sins been received since you've published it? Um, what do people say to you about the, your assessment of the ANC's role well, in South no, Africa? It, they, they, I think there's been a shock. Uh, there's been a lot of response to the article that, that came out in, in the Daily Maverick. If you look at the, the online version of it, there's tons and tons that of, of discussion 
So in that respect, I think it, it's been very po positive. Of course, not everybody agrees with me. For example, I got denounced by one or two for 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 putting the the, the koi and the sun amongst the colors. They said, "No, we were never slaves." <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but but still, I think generally the the discussion has been positive on the government side. Of course, I don't know what the government thinks of it all, but but I think it has bigger problems than responding to to the public debate. Um, we. Well, you've talked about the opposition parties. Um, what kind of effect do you think that Jacob Zuma's, if it, if it is Jacob Zuma's, Mkwanto Wesizwe party could have on this election? Well, I think it's very clear from the, the, the two by-elections that it has contested, that it has a strong following, at least in case of Mkwazulu-Natal. Uh, it has come third, uh, in the two by-elections by that have been held. Uh, IFP won, ANC was two, and the A and MK party was number three. So it's very clear that uh, it has a, a, a strong following in KwaZulu-Natal from the by-elections. And because of our proportional representation system, a vote anywhere in South Africa goes into your national vote because we don't have a constituency system. A vote uh, in KwaZulu-Natal gets packaged into your vote for the national parliament. So I think it will make a showing at the national parliament, even if it just gets all its work from, from KwaZulu-Natal, but I think it will get a vote from other places anyway. But all the polls are indicating that the ANC would fall below 50%. Do you want to predict what you think it might be, what they might get, what the opposition might get? Well, well we know that during the local government election, it went to 45%. So I, I, can't, I don't expect it will improve on that 45%. Um, but the rest, of course, that we have lots of experts who are conducting opinion polls. Um, but I, in the mid-40s, I think that, that somewhere they were way too. But either way, it's no longer the, 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 the dominant party in South Africa. So in a way, I call it the end of the nationalist era, the, this coming election. It shows the end of the nationalist era. From Africana nationalism, when the National Party came in, in 1924 to when it left in 1994 and then African nationalists were, was, came in in 1994 to 2024 when they, they lost the majority. So we, were, we have reached the end of the nationalist era in our country's history. The interesting thing is, where do we go to from there? That is the more interesting question than the question of the ANC losing power. We know why the ANC, why the population no longer support the ANC because of the five deadly things. So we now, the question is, how do we move forward? 
Well, a lot of people would ask, how are we going to do with another five years of the ANC if they find a coalition partner? I mean, how do you see South Africa in the next five years and after the next five years? Yeah, well, I think we'll continue with the stagnation we're sitting with. Because, as I say, the president of the ANC has repeated that he's continuing with the, with the current policies which I described I describe as the five deadly sin policies. So he's planning to continue with it, with them. Now, whoever is in coalition with, 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 the, with the ANC will have to live with that. We'll have to maybe tinker on the edges of that. So South Africa is in deep trouble until the, we find a real democratic balance where we have two or three big parties that 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 where we have real political competition. That's unfortunately anything yes. can happen between now and then. We, but there is no other solution. Well, that's not too positive to end off. But yeah, because I think people were people are actually hoping that the opposition parties can you know get together and actually be a real force. So it's not going to be in this election. You say. No, we. You see, the one of the problems which I have identified with our political parties in general, our political parties in South Africa only cater for minority interests. They don't cater for the interests of the mass of South Africa. If I take the DA, which is the second biggest party, okay, let me start with the ANC. Hmm. Whose interest does the ANC cater for? It caters primarily for the interests of the African middle class, mm. followed by the, the traditional leaders, followed by the rural poor. Now, this is a minority. It's not a majority of the people of South Africa. If you take the DA, during their... Uh, their, their their launch of their manifesto. There, there was an interview with the chief whip of the DA. And she was asked, is the DA a white party? So she says, no, we are the most racially representative party in South Africa. So she said a third of our supporters are African, a third are colored and Indian, I think, and a third are white. Now, she calls that representative, but actually, it's not representative because 80% of our population is African. So if the, if the DA was not a minority party, 80% of its membership, not a third, 80 should be African. But Africans are leaving the DA. African leaders are leaving the DA for whatever reason, but they are leaving. So the Africans are a minority in the DA. So the DA is a party of minorities. If you go to the EFF, the EFF has similar profile to the ANC. It has the middle class. That's who the, the EFF is, the African middle class. It has a following amongst the urban poor to some extent 
is trying to get a section of of the working class, the African working class. But essentially, it is a part, again, it is catering for the interests of minorities. So where are the majorities in South Africa? The majorities in South Africa are the African and the colored working class. That's the majority. And and the rural poor. That's the majority in South Africa. So if you want an inclusive party in South Africa, it has to have the interests of those three groups as paramount. But it, of course it has to include the middle class, but it also has to include the capitalists. We don't have such a party in this country. So we have these parties of various minority interests, but at the end of the day, they don't have enough power to move the society and to move the economy. This South Africa is a complicated economy with many uh, dynamics. You need a party that is inclusive of the big players in our society for you to have the power to, to, to reform because those key players have to feel they are part of the decision-making. But at the moment, they don't. That's why the ANC lost its majorities in Cape Town, in, in, in Johannesburg, in Devon, and so on. Malaysia Mbeki, thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you. It's nice talking to you, Lee.